It's recording. Uh, it's that it's recording and I can leave if I want to. So. <laughs> <laughs> she leaves. She's like, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't say you guys could record. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start talking in three, two, one. Welcome back to Beyond the RX. I'm your co-host, Elena Robinson. With me, we have Shweta and our guests for today's episode, Hannah Wilding. Hannah was an athlete at Virginia Tech and a current medical student at Penn State. Hannah, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Hannah and I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and went to school at Virginia Tech. Like Elena said, I studied clinical neuroscience and creative writing and was a member of the swim team. I'm a proud Hokie and love it there. I am now a first year medical student at Penn State. Woohoo! Go Hokies. Um, yeah, Hannah and I were, we became really good friends at the end. I feel like at the end of more of my senior year, we yeah. like went, yeah, we went I to know. a coffee shop. <laughs> I know because I spent like a year, a year working after undergrad in Roanoke. So close to Blacksburg where Virginia Tech is. And yes. funny enough, like we had classes together, but we were not close until after I was out of college. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And those are honestly the best friendships. I feel like a lot of the people that I'm still friends with out of college are people I didn't really get close to until the very end. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know. Penn State is such a great school. I have a, I had a friend that went to Penn State for med school and now he's doing residency at UCLA for vascular Ooh. surgery. Yeah. <laughs> Very casual. Yeah. So yeah wow. a, a great match list. So you're going to be great. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Hannah, can you just talk more about your experience with the swim team? And also when we like first hung out, we talked about a shared experience, not necessarily with exactly what we were going through, but having just a chronic ailment that we were dealing with. And for me, it was chronic pain. And for you, it was kind of eating disorder, body image. Can you talk about your experience with that and how being a swimmer kind of played into that as well? Yes, of course. Um, so yeah, I swam my whole life. I started swimming more competitively in sixth grade. I was, so I was like 11 or 12, was still kind of playing some other sports. And then when I was in high school, I decided that I was going to commit like my end of my sophomore year of high school, I was going to commit fully to swimming. Kind of had my hopes set on swimming at Virginia Tech, actually. I, both of my parents had gone to undergrad there and my dad was on the cross country and track teams there. And so oh, wow. it was, yeah. So it was kind of like, I just was really passionate about it and I really wanted to do it. So that was sort of when that became my goal at that point in time. And I had a really good senior year of high school in terms of swimming with my season and actually what they call an invited walk-on. So at the end of my senior year of high school, I kind of reached out and said, hey, I know I'm coming to tech and I would really love to swim there. They welcomed me on. So I was became a member of the team, really like loved it from the start. It was something again that I'd been doing forever. And I don't know, sports just brought out like a different, a different passion in me. It was fun to kind of test your limits. And for some reason, like being beyond the limits was fun too. And so I think just understanding like how far my body could go, 
And doing it surrounded by people who I loved was always something that brought me a lot of joy. And so I loved being a member of the team, but I was really the bottom of the totem pole. I had seen so much success toward the end of high school. And when I got to college, that success comparatively kind of stopped. And so I was no longer swimming best times. So in swimming, like your goal is to drop your time more and more in your races. And that wasn't happening for me my freshman year of college into really my sophomore year too. And so that was kind of the time where I think that it just, it got draining. It was like, I don't know how much more I can do this. And I felt like I was constantly working to prove myself in the pool. Even if that pressure wasn't put on by external sources of coaches, I wasn't able to do it. And I was failing at proving myself. And so for me, that was kind of where the struggles with my eating disorder began, because I think that you know, for whatever reason, like whether it be culturally induced or by like the influences around me too, it was like being the skinniest person I could be was something that I could control and a way that I could prove my worth. And of course, what I came to discover through this process was that more of it was devaluing to me. Like it wasn't actually bringing me the worth that I thought it promised, but it was something that felt tangible at a time that, you know, my grades or my, how fast I was swimming or anything like that felt uncontrollable. And so it was just kind of what I clung to. Yeah. That was kind of the genesis of it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually gone into kind of detail with you. So it it does make sense. And I know as an athlete, it is hard. And for being in a swimsuit one that pushes you to want to look a certain way. It was similar to being on the dance team. I was wearing a crop top in front of like 60,000 people. So I definitely get that. Wow. That is quite the journey. I think especially the way that society is right now in terms of detailing what a woman should look like or what she should wear. I really felt that too. I think growing up, I wasn't really affected by body image issues because to me, I, it didn't, it wasn't something I, I cared about as much. But then when I started lifting and I started kickboxing, And I started rock climbing and I started doing these things that required a lot of movement and a lot of pushing my body, seeing other people around me, especially lifting at the gym, like all of these amazing women that look amazing. And to me, I would look at myself in the mirror like, oh, I don't like these hip dips. Like, I don't like this. I don't like these love handles. And then I would think to myself, like, if I just skip dinner, if I just skip lunch, like if I just eat a little bit less and then and then the other the flip side of things, like if you don't eat enough, you aren't growing muscle. Right. And it's like this is the way that society details. Oh, you have to have that hourglass shape. It's like it's insane. So I completely understand. How did having an eating disorder affect your relationships near connections with people. Mm, yeah. I think that that's, that's definitely something that's like was deeply affected and you don't think about it at the beginning. And, and I think that to a certain extent too, like you don't realize or understand what's occurring in terms of like the loss of connection to people until it's already been done. And so that was largely, it was like the, my eating disorder sort of started to get, you know, and I would say that I struggled with body image, like the entire time that I was in college swimming. And so even my freshman year, I was struggling with it, but I think that it really took a turn the spring of my sophomore year of college and just got a lot worse. It's when like, I was just restricting, like you were kind of mentioning Shweta, but restricting food. I I just followed a very specific diet. I was working out like, and probably burning close to 4,000 calories a day and eating like between 15 and 1500 and 2000. And so 
in that sense, it can be really deceiving because for some people between eating between that calorie amount is reasonable if you're like a very, you know, not an extremely active person, but of course, and so in some ways it looked like a reasonable amount of food to be eating, but not for the exercise that I was doing. And so, yeah, I think relationship wise, who, I mean, I just like the activities that I once did with friends, such as like going to dinner and eating with them. And so in a very practical way, like the things that I used to do with them was no longer something that I did because everything for me, food became like, I controlled every bit of it. So I didn't go out to eat and I made everything at home so that I could count exactly how many calories were in the salad dressing that I was using and in the vegetables that I was putting in my salad and the chicken that was going on top of the salad. And like, that's like not necessarily is within my control if I were going out to eat with friends. And so I think very early on, that was sort of the way that it presented. But later on, I just, I didn't have the energy to be feeding into friendships. And I think that I'm pretty, pretty high energy person at baseline. I tend to be like relatively optimistic and that started to wane, I would say by that summer after my sophomore year of college. And it was just like, I couldn't have a conversation with people without having it be centered around like an anxiety that I had eaten too much food or an anxiety that I I couldn't count the amount of calories in a meal that I was going to have with friends when we were out or just obsessively speaking about my diet for that day and making sure, because for me, it was like this way to check and make sure that I hadn't eaten too much. And so I would say it out loud to other people. And so I think like it just became my life centered around it. And so I didn't have space in my life for friends anymore. And I think some friends who I was with a lot of the time recognize that a lot. Other friends probably it didn't impact relationships that much, but the people who saw me every day, like I was a very different person to them. Wow. That really stood out to me of you saying that you said it out loud because that's like a way, I guess, a way of holding yourself accountable for like maintaining that diet. Wow. What did it like, did your friends respond to that? Did they pick up on that? You were saying your diet for that reason early on, no. And I've, you know, since had friends who it's like, you can recognize when I think when you've had certain tendencies, you can recognize when someone else is like possibly walking down a similar path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like afterwards with friends, I've seen how hard it is to be that friend who's saying like, Hey, I, I think you might not be making the choices that are best for you right now, or you might be struggling with, with something. Is there something else going on? And so I think early on out of what, what of course they believe to be my best interests, my friends kind of entertained the conversations that I was having. But when it became this constant thing, I, and that was ultimately like what pushed me to seek help was when it became so constant that it was truly like impacting the people around me pretty directly. And so they kind of knew and, and did bring that up and, and it did so very kindly, Mm -hmm. but it was obviously like not easy for me to receive either because I think that, with it being such a deceptive and and kind of like secretive thing, I thought everything was completely fine. And I thought that I was just following a healthy diet and I thought that I was losing weight to be healthy. Right. That would be hard as a friend to kind of, I mean, I've had, I think like only maybe one friend that has dealt with an eating disorder that I recognized. Right. And it, like I, would ask her, are you sure everything's okay? And then like, she would deny, deny, deny. And then it later yeah, came out, yeah. but I have two questions and yeah, they're yeah. kind of follow up to, they're a follow up to one another, but 
One is, would you say when it came, like became kind of all consuming, that was your rock bottom? And then follow up for that. Is that when you decided, that's when you decided to seek help? Mm. Oh yeah. That's a good question. I think that, so like, I think that rock bottom, honestly, when I, when it became, it was all consuming kind of all along. Like I think that early on it, it started as yes, I'm just going to follow like a healthier diet, which it, that can be really healthy. And that can be like perfectly fine, especially for a certain type of person. And so I guess at the very beginning, it wasn't that, but then when it became all consuming, when it was just like, okay, I'm going to restrict more and I'm going to exercise more. And I was like throwing on, I mean, so with swimming, we like, we work out, usually swim for like an hour and a half in the morning. Then we would have an afternoon lift and then we'd have either lift or conditioning. And then we would have like another afternoon swim that was like two and a half hours. And so sometimes I would throw another run in there or like anything. So I was exercising like four times a day. I would go to yoga. Like I was doing all these crazy things early on. It was all consuming, like exercise wise. Um, then it became more like, okay, how much more can I restrict? As I actually did seek help. I think that the treatment was like all consuming too, because therapy wise, it just felt like, when is this ever going to get better? And like, will this ever get better? And will I ever see a day where like every single one of my thought and every action that I do and like every decision I make is not based around food. Cause that's truly what it felt like. Rock bottom maybe was more as I was actually in therapy, just because it was like really hard to start to fix it. Like it was, it felt like something that was like, are you sure I wouldn't just be happier continuing to have an eating disorder, like continuing to give in to the thoughts in my head that told me that eating less food would make me joyful and happy. And it felt more difficult to combat those thoughts. Rock bottom came at times, I guess, when I would more like relapse into it. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I think that like when I sought help was when it was impacting the people around me most probably. And it, and I didn't, like, it wasn't my idea to get help. One of my friends who's very dear to me was basically said, I think that you're really struggling with this. And there was a new woman therapist on the sports psychology staff at Virginia Tech who is yeah, the best. She's the best. best. <laughs> I mean like very life changing. And so um I was like, all right, I can give it a try. And I and I went into it very much like I don't have an eating disorder and I don't know why I'm doing this. So my friend told me I should. And it didn't feel like it was impacting my life that much, but it was impacting the people around me. Yeah. Lauren Naldo, if you're listening, you're the best. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. So you mentioned when you first started going to a therapist, the first thing was denial. It was like, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm just here because my friend told me to be here. I noticed that is a trend also with mental health disorders too. And what I've found is that there's a certain point where in order to see the the benefit of therapy, you have to reach that turning point where you where you realize this is where I'm at. So how can we move forward from here? So where so when do you feel you reach that point? Yeah, I think it is like it's kind of an ironic point in some ways, like you're saying, Shweta. And I would credit a lot of it to like a lot of my reaching that point to having a really good therapist. I think that it was easy for me to talk about other stressors in my life. It was easy to go into saying how hard I was finding swimming at the time, or I was getting test anxiety and anxious for tests in school, or I was perfectionistic and I was always worried about 
perfect grades and looking put together. And, and so it was a lot easier to talk about those sorts of things. And because I think that they were everyday struggles that had fewer consequences for me in that immediate time. And so I think though that she just continued to push me. Like she kept bringing that up. And, and I think that I also knew that it was becoming this consuming thing because I was spending a lot of my energy thinking about food and thinking about how I could control it. And eventually it was just like so draining. So once I got to know her well was when I really reached the point, okay, if I'm going to break down to like anyone, crack it open, it'll be with her. When you're in therapy, you're consistently talking about that same thing that gives you trouble. I don't, I don't know if I could like pinpoint totally what it was, but I think it was just like, I was expending too much energy trying to hide it from her. And of course that is also at the mercy of the fact that I had a functional enough brain to think that way too, which I think is important to recognize. I feel like I was in a a lucky position to be able to do that. Yeah. And you seem very emotionally aware too, which is very helpful in situations like this, just to be intuitive and introspective to understand what emotions you're feeling and like not really intellectualize them because I know you're not supposed to do that, but like know at least like, oh, this is what I'm feeling instead of just, this is an emotion, it's there, I can't really explain it. Right, yeah, and I think that that, I mean, I do, I would consider myself to be a pretty like emotionally intelligent person and I think that that was something that was really hard with this because I was like living in this dissonance where the eating disorder thoughts in my head, like they weren't in tune to my emotions at all. And the other half of me knew that almost knew, like, I think that I'm going down this path. I couldn't let the two of those things mesh because if the two of those things mesh, that would mean it was true. The two sides of me kind of remained separate. I feel like I was functionally a different person around food, around those decisions. And I, and I wasn't really like in tune to my emotions and in the rest of my life, I was, it just became exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is, that's a very interesting thing to say. Cause I, I guess I didn't really know you when you were going through that. Right. Um, you had two different people while you were kind of dealing with that, but I also understand it. You're kind of separating yourself from it. So you don't feel kind of like the full emotional pain of exactly what you're going through. Right. So Hannah, when we went to the coffee shop in Blacksburg, we had a huge discussion just kind of about faith, but I didn't think I asked you this question then, but how do you think faith kind of was interplay with your healing and maybe even your troubles with your eating disorder? It's certainly central to who I am as a person. I'm a Christian. And so I think that it was, it was impossible to not tie the two of these things together in terms of, I would say, yeah, both my healing and the troubles. I think that the troubles wise early on, I just separated it from my faith. Again, it was kind of like that dissonance that I was talking about where like, I wasn't connecting the emotional, like spiritual sides of myself to my physical being. And it was really easy for me to have an idol of like what I looked like and how, and even more than what I looked like, it just became like, I didn't even care what I looked like anymore, but this idol of control of like being able to just manage, if I could just manage everything at my fingertips, then like the rest of my life will feel okay and put together. And I think that like the irony of that was that as I continued down that path, at first it brought this initial sense of control, but it started to bring a lack of control because it was the things that mattered a lot to me, which were 
deep friendships and feeling understood and feeling known by the people around me, it came at a cost of losing those things. The promises of my eating disorder, it couldn't actually deliver on those promises. That's something that I describe, like where my faith became crucial in recovery was that I felt that like God could deliver on the promises that he has given me. And that I think like really seeking to be known as my identity in him, as opposed to my identity as the skinniest or the most put together or the fastest swimmer or the best student was what ultimately brought my life grounding during that time. And then I think even still struggles wise, it was definitely like a hard time in a place where I just had to succumb to like not fully understanding and being okay with that and taking faith in that. But just why do I have to keep struggling with this? Why is it a continued everyday battle to wake up and feel like this is going to bring me happiness, but I know it's not and kind of have to deny myself in that manner. It definitely was just clinging to something bigger than myself during that time that ultimately, I think, brought me a lot of peace. Right. I definitely kind of understand on like leaning on your face to help bring you through like those difficult times and also understand that I think, yeah, that's very emotionally aware for you to under, like realize that you were using kind of just your body's physique or how skinny you were, you were as an idol. I right. haven't really heard that before, but that's, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Did you feel that changing that perspective of what your role model or what your idol should be help in, in treating your eating disorder? Yeah, definitely. I think something that my therapist used a lot was the idea that like distraction isn't necessarily a bad thing. And of course, if we're distracting to the point that we're denying our emotions or denying our feelings or like never recognizing what's going on internally, that's not good. But distracting to instead of being focused on my emotions, couldn't stop spiraling about if I eat this for breakfast and like, what am I going to eat for lunch? And it was just like a constant dialogue in my head. And so I think distraction to move away from that kind of like a harmful behavior to myself, ultimately, like it's something that, and you'll hear people talk about in the eating disorder field of recovery being a lifelong process. And it's something that I still use today because especially during times of change and stress in my life, it's an easy thing to lean back on for control or to want to lean back on. And I think that, yeah, like just that distraction of, okay, I, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to think about this. And again, I feel fortunate to have that mindset to be able to do so, because I think there are a lot of people who are in similar shoes who might not be able to have that so easily. I was going to say, I have a very similar parallel with anxiety, I had really bad test anxiety and like just yeah. anxiety in general. And so I remember when I was studying for my first round of board exams, I would get panic attacks mm. and literally would be sitting there like sweating and shaking before practice exam. I remember my therapist saying something very similar, distracting from your thoughts, focus on your breath. So sitting there and focusing on your breathing and then calming down your breathing, one long breath out, one long breath in. When you start to focus on that, you forget your thoughts because you're focusing on one thing at a time. And right. so that helps you to kind of rewire your thinking to like forget those, those anxious thoughts of fear and like insecurity and like all of those things. So it's an interesting parallel that you could, you could use these techniques really anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of a open question for both of you really, but when it comes to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, I feel like there is kind of, well, there's definitely a stigma, but in relation to preparing 
for the medical field and people writing medical school applications, I've heard this before of, they say like avoid talking about depression or anxiety or eating disorders. So like, how do you think that physicians look at that? And how do you, do you think that it's, that there's just a stigma that kind of takes away from the treatment that they receive? Mm. Um, how do they see, I guess, like patients or more, are you saying like, how, how are they seeing like med school applicants or how are they seeing those diseases as a whole, I guess? I would say probably in reference to patients, because I feel like it kind of ties into how they view future doctors as well. Because if, if they say kind of avoid talking about these things, are they thinking that it's a weak minded thing, which is completely wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly, I I think it just depends on the person, on the school, on like the doctor and who you're working with. But I feel like a lot of my like doubts in that field have been thankfully devalued and disproved, I would say, in medical school. For the most part, the faculty and physicians who I've worked with are respectful of like mental health struggles. And of course, it's like it's not something that... I speak about on the day to day with everyone who I work with whatsoever, but I guess with the doctors who I've seen patients with, which has mostly been in the family medicine setting where you're more likely to come across a higher number, I would say of patients who might have a mental health disease simply because you're treating every patient there is in family med. There doesn't seem too much of a stigma. Like it seems to be understood that these are diseases that many people deal with and on the spectrum, everyone deals with to a certain extent, like anxiety or depression or situations of such. So I think that I would have expected it to look much different prior to being where I am. But yeah, for the most part, I think that the patients are really seen as separate from their disease, which is, I think, like a huge piece of removing that stigma in our field. That's awesome. In med school applications, I do think that advice I got going into it was to sound whole and to sound complete and, and like your struggles are not still things that are actively really breaking you down, which I think to a certain extent, like it's to play it safe. That's good advice, but it is hard because I think that no matter like where we are in life, we're going to have something that's breaking us down and that's okay. And that's part of our humanity. And that is what makes us relatable to patients. And so it's, you know, it's tough because I, I don't, I don't know that I think it probably does depend on the school and depends on who's looking at your application. Personally, I don't think that that's something that should remove any reason for you to a med student. Right. I actually think people that deal with eating disorders, depression, anxiety, and going into being a physician, like you're absolutely right. You are able to relate to a lot of people because kind of the underlying thing with individuals suffering from chronic diseases is they have some form of depression. They have some form of anxiety or mental health issue. So like, if you're not able to understand the gravity of the pain that they're feeling, you're not able to fully treat them. Hashtag cure personalis. Hashtag (laughs) empathy. Yeah. Hashtag empathy. Yep. Yeah. It's, and I think that that's a good thing, you know, and not that like medical school should be like, oh, if they have depression, let them in. No, but understanding of what pain is because that contributes to the presentation of their illness. It, I mean, it fully exacerbates it if they're going through something emotional. So I think that it's important to understand real pain. Right. 
I think that perhaps something that should be more strongly considered is what are your coping mechanisms like and how has your resilience been cultivated throughout this process? Because those are things that are really applicable to med school. And if I were to have a relapse of my eating disorder while in medical school, it would be really important for me to know coping mechanisms and know what is most helpful for me in order to be able to continue pursuing my dream. And also I think just adding to the world around me through medicine. And so I think that that's probably more important. Is it this completely uncontrolled thing in your life that has the potential to wreak havoc? Or is it something that actually I think can wreak havoc in beautiful ways of building our resilience and actually, like you're saying, making us a lot more empathetic toward patients and understanding of like when they're going through difficulties too. Right. I've been trying to avoid social media as much as I can recently, just because things trigger stress, anxiety, especially right now um, right. in a stressful time with my applications. Yeah. So I'm big into rock climbing now. And I mean, you go to the gym and you see just like these amazing ripped rock climbers just killing the game. All these girls looking great. And then like you scroll on social media and like you see the same thing. You see like the different foods they're eating. And I think that there has been a push recently to like, say you can eat more than just green lettuce, you know, like green lettuce (laughs) is good, but you can eat more than just like leaves. But how did social media affect your relationship with your eating disorder? Oh yeah, that's good. I'm actually, I'm kind of off the grid right now too on social media. It just became, (laughs) it became, um, Yeah. I just like, just uh, not like it wasn't bringing me life anymore. I think that, let's see, I think that social media, it just, for me, it wasn't, and maybe for some people it is, but for me, it wasn't the crux of my illness. It wasn't, you know, the thing that was controlling everything about my eating disorder, but it was just exacerbating it. So it was, if we could just add fuel to the fire, I wanted to look perfect for pictures. And I think that in some ways it, it gave me, I would say like just improper validation in the same way that my eating disorder did. So my, my worth was coming from the wrong place still. Like if I just looked perfect in a picture, then everything was fine for that day. And I could go on and move on and be totally a-okay. But if I looked what I thought to be horrible in a picture that very next day, where physically speaking, your body can't change very much, suddenly all hell broke loose. And I think it was just right back to being extremely restrictive and what I was eating and like, well, now I need to go for an extra run today. And so I think that it just kind of, again, exacerbated the cycle for me and it just maybe pronounced the effects of my eating disorder more because it was just like another input. Instead of now just looking in the mirror and seeing what I looked like, it was another input of like, well, I can compare myself to other girls and I can see how perfect I can look to them compared to them. Social media can be just so toxic. And I mean, it makes you really sometimes just question your worth and like you will rely on how many likes that you got on a certain post to be like, oh, I'm this well-known, well-liked and think to someone else and be like, oh, I like don't matter. Like I'm not important. And I like the new feature on Instagram where you can turn off the likes. I think that's good. I do want to say I second everything you said about the medical school stuff. I guess I could add it now, but just like, but basically I think that there is 
progress being made in the medical community, both in terms of seeing patients and also in terms of people entering the medical community as students and then residents and doctors. I think that when it comes to patients, what I've noticed, this is a pleasant surprise, is that instead of now seeing a patient that comes in, let's say with chest pain and just thinking, okay, this is a heart attack. Is this like a heartburn? Is this, you also ask, okay, what are, what are things happening in your uh, environment? What are things happening with your job, with your family? Is there stressors involved? Could this be anxiety? Could this be a panic attack? Could it be something else? Or incorporating these ideas of mental health is just as important as physical health in all aspects of health. And I really, really appreciate that. And I think that it's starting to make doctors understand, not just doctors, people in general, it's starting to help people understand that anxiety and depression can affect all aspects of your life and not just seeing someone as, and also when someone comes in and they're depressed, you think, oh, like the picture you have of someone being depressed, like, oh, they're sad. They're crying all the time. That's not it. Someone could come in with the biggest smile on their face and they could be depressed. And you have to understand like there are different ways that people present themselves and create these facades. And so being able to, decipher clinical depression in all these different types of people is very important. Also in the medical set, in the medical community and like bringing people into the medical community as students, I've noticed that what you mentioned with like what your coping mechanisms are, that's what a lot of admissions committees, both for medical school and also for residency have talked about is the inner work is like when you bring up the fact that you have, you had anxiety or have it now or depression or eating disorders. Can you talk about what you did to cope with that? What did you do to treat that or to combat that? Like what did you do the inner work for yourself or did you seek help? Did you like any of that stuff? Like that's all positive things to talk about because that shows your resilience instead of like the idea of like show, not tell, right? Like in in any application setting. (laughs) That's what I wanted to mention in, in that aspect. Here, talk about social media. I think that social media can be toxic, but you can change that because social media is really what you make of it. So like what I ended up doing after I graduated from undergrad and I started medical school, I realized the people in my communities that I had allowed into my life, a lot of them were toxic to me. And so regardless of that, what I did with my social media, I think this is the one thing I'm very proud of in that aspect of like media and society in general is that I gave myself a cleanse in this, in the fact that I didn't block myself from social media or like, I guess, like not be on social media for a certain amount of time. What I mean by cleanse is I went through all the people I follow, all the people that are on my like Instagram feed. What I did was I went through and I'm like, does, does this person make me happy about myself? How do I feel when I'm with this person? What, how do I feel when I'm scrolling through their profile? Does this help me in any way? And I removed all the people that I didn't want to be seeing on my feed. And that helped me so much. The people I follow on my Instagram are people that make me happy, inspire me, encourage me. And then also stuff that I want to know in life, political stuff or medical school stuff. I follow a lot of doctors on Instagram that post like EKG of the day and that helps me work on my EKGs. I follow a lot of medical students that inspire me. I follow a lot of people that aren't in medicine that that push me to be a better person, that remind me of life outside of medicine. And I think social media can do that for you if you allow it to, you know? Right, right, yeah. I think that one of the aspects of social media and just, I think, toxicity in general um, is the addictive nature of it. And I think that a lot of people don't want, like, they don't want to be surrounded by toxicity, but they don't want to take that step to step away, you know? So it's, it's, but I mean, I applaud you for doing that because I would always, I would be like, oh my God, did I hurt their feelings if I unfollowed (laughs) them, you know? Um, But yeah, sometimes I'm just like, 
I check to see if they don't, if they follow me and if they don't, I'm like, bye. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, that's a really good tip. And I think that like, if I get into medical school, I will definitely want to take that step because it's especially, especially in such a stressful time. I don't want anything adding to that. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I totally second that. And there was like, even in like, for me and eating disorder recovery, there were a lot of accounts that I followed that were encouraging and like, you know, gave me, I think just a lot of hope that, okay, my life can look different after this. And so I, I completely agree that you can, that's one of the best parts of social media, I think, is that whatever you want it to be, it can be to a large extent. And I think that like, to each their own. You know what I mean? For some people, for me, it just, it became something that was like, okay, I don't know if at this point in my life, I can have it right now in a healthy way. And I think that some of it's like understanding yourself to that extent. And then other, others of it is like, okay, well, would it, or is it a better challenge for me to do what you did, you know, and like, be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself to only follow people and only look at people and exercise self-control in order to only, you know, look at this at times that it's helpful to me. I think that either way you go about it is amazing. It's just, I think that the awareness is kind of what you're saying, Elena, the awareness of like, okay, this can be really helpful or this can be really dangerous. And right. Right. yeah, I completely agree. It's like, do you really want to sacrifice your inner peace to form outer peace? Yeah. And that's something yeah. I think about a lot. Oh, good. <laughs> that was really good. That's really wow. good. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't get that tattooed. There's so many things <laughs> I've said. I'm going to get that tattooed before you know it. I'm just going to have tons of tattoos. Tattoos everywhere. From Leg, yeah. leg and arm sleeves. Yeah, I'll yeah. do it, you know. Yeah. But I do have one last question for you, Hannah. If there are individuals that are listening to this podcast right now that are struggling with an eating disorder, do you have any advice for them? Ooh. Um, hmm. I would say seeking help is worth it. And that the people who are in your corner are worth trusting. And I think that no matter how severe your eating disorder or mental health disease or whatever it is, might be outwardly classified inwardly. If it is something that's impacting your inner peace, that's impacting your sense of self, that's impacting how you move about your day-to-day life, no matter what it looks like on the outside, you are worthy of receiving help and you are worthy of the support of those people around you. And I think that with regards to trusting the people in your corner, I think just as long as there are people who have proven themselves to be like historically for you, trust that they are for you and that they want what's best for you. And that sometimes it's hard to know what's best for ourselves. And so those are good people to turn to. Thank you for that great advice. Very impactful. But thank you for being on our podcast today. We really enjoyed having you and you're one of the best people I know and such a great person to talk to. So thank you for just being vulnerable with us and talking about eating disorders, because I know that this will impact a lot of people if they're struggling with an eating disorder or if they're going to eventually treat um, patients with eating disorders in the future. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me because um, it's just been a great time and I'm honored that you brought me on and I'm happy to share my story and just always happy to talk with both of you, but to talk with anyone too who wants to talk about this kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. 
All right, guys, like and follow to continue with the podcast and follow through with our episodes. And of course, we always love hearing from our audience. So if you know anyone or if you would like to share your healthcare journey, we would always love to see healthcare through your eyes.